Greetings, friends and colleagues. Welcome to the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast, the professional educator's thought partner, a service of OnCourse Education Solutions. I am Scott Lee. Today, we continue with part two of our discussion on school safety and de-escalating disruptive students with Dr. Amy Murphy and Dr. Brian Van Brunt, who have co-authored Addressing Dangerous Behavior in the Classroom in the September 2018 edition of Education Leadership and the book Uprooting Sexual Violence in Higher Education. Amy Murphy is assistant professor in the Department of Curriculum and Instruction at Angelo State University. She was formerly the Dean of Students at Texas Tech University and has more than 20 years of student affairs administrative experiences, including work related to behavioral intervention, crisis response, prevention, and wellness. She co-authored a staff guide to addressing disruptive and dangerous behavior on campus. Her research includes the joint development of the ERIS, Extremist Risk Intervention Scale, as well as other tools and resources for behavioral intervention teams in schools and universities. She has authored more than 10 different book chapters and several peer-reviewed journal articles on related topics. Amy is past president of the National Behavioral Intervention Team Association and past managing editor of the Journal of Campus Behavioral Intervention. She is a member of the advisory team for the International Alliance for Care and Threat Teams. Brian Van Brunt is the Assistant Deputy Director for Training at Secure Community Network formerly the president of the National Association for Behavioral Intervention and Threat Assessment, Brian has provided consulting services to schools, colleges, and universities across the country and abroad on a variety of topics related to student mental health, counseling, campus violence, and behavioral intervention. Brian has taught at a number of universities and colleges, offering courses in counseling theory, ethics, program evaluation, statistics, and sociology. He has served as the Director of Counseling at New England College and Western Kentucky University. In addition to authoring several books, he has published numerous articles in academic peer-reviewed journals and practice-based publications. He recently published his first novel, Wolf Howling, with two more in the series coming soon. We pick up our conversation discussing the public health approach to school safety, and Amy and Brian discuss some of the issues that have come up during professional learning sessions. We sometimes don't see the problems that are there in front of us, or it just seems inevitable that the problem is going to happen regardless of what we do, or we just don't feel like we have the time to deal with the problem. And I think that the hope is by connecting together these three prongs of violence prevention in the classroom, that it helps to convey the importance of going upstream to to classroom climate and de-escalation as as these really critical and valuable pieces for, for teachers to invest in. It's so interesting how many people dealing with issues like this all focus on these three things, you know, going upstream and of course the PBIS model same thing. It's, it's a public health approach. If you do it well, 
and focus on what students need, it continues to work. Do you find generally, in terms of when situations get to a crisis response, that oftentimes people were not being preventative enough? Is that usually where you find the problem has, has occurred? Start with you, Amy. I, think. I was going to kick it to Brian. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> well, that's so fine. I'm ready then. to answer. Okay. I'm always ready to answer. Amy knows that about me. Let me do a short answer. I Let me tell a story. And I'm not going to use names because this is probably not a great public story. But, you know, we were. I was hired as a consultant for a group to come in and do some work in an underprivileged school district. And one of the things I struggled with and tried to make some peace with was the money they were spending on the consultant coming in to do the work rather than spending the money on the teachers where everyone who looked at the school district was like, well, here's your problem. You have, you know, really um, impoverished kids without access to things like internet, um, you know, resources that other people take for granted. And we have consultants coming in with this solution around crisis de-escalation. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't bad. I think the information that we shared was useful, but the problem was a Maslow's hierarchy problem. This this was like, we're hitting self-actualization advice on how to, you know, reimagine the crisis itself. And the problem really is resources dedicated to these students. It was a problem of privilege um, I can go so far as to say as a problem of, of systemic racism in, in the system uh, worked into it. So those were the issues. So I, I really do believe the core tenets of Carl Rogers and the humanistic approach to counseling that people are generally good. They um, generally are successful when they're in the right environment that has like a, a flower, the right soil, the right water, the right sunlight to grow and learn. And more often than not, I don't know if this tracks with, with you, Scott or, or Amy, but you know, when I'm not at my best, when I'm stressed or overwhelmed or I'm hungry or um, you know, distracted, or I, I don't have the funds or the resources I need to accomplish a goal, I'm, I'm more prone to crisis. And I think we just have to look inside and appreciate that, that it's, it's the rare crisis that really just is looking for a singular technical way of, um, you know, I think about that Robin Williams movie. Uh, you're going to have to help me with the title where he's the, how about these apples with the Matt Damon? Either of you got Oh, that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Goodwill hunting. Yeah. Right. Like, so I, I think it's very rare that we need some kind of like cathartic therapeutic insight, like in Goodwill hunting, where he has this like breakdown afterwards, like now nah, I'm going to change my life. I, I think much more commonly it's an awareness of the systemic issues in society, which are much harder to address rather than hiring a consultant in to come talk, you know, to a school district. Um, So I feel like I've just talked myself out of some consulting gigs, (laughs) Um, but the reality is the money's already allocated. So, you know, when we went in and did that, we, we did the best we could to really stay grounded and focused on the the needs in front of them and tried to avoid the, the, in the sky issues. And I'll go back finally to my, my earlier statement. We spent those 20 minutes of every hour listening to them and their stories so that they've felt understood and were understood and that our interventions and suggestions were more grounded in the reality of what they were, um, you know, trying to do, you know, and that that's important too. Amy. I think it's one reason I was struggling with the question a little bit because we're in this moment 
right? Of, of teacher shortages, teacher burnout, right? Education and healthcare have been hit extremely hard mm-hmm. by the pandemic. And so for me, I, if I could tell school personnel and teachers one thing, I would want them to know that they do have the skills and the attitudes to help promote safety in their classrooms and to de-escalate these crises without a lot of additional training or special techniques that I think they sometimes second guess their ability to know what to do when one of the most important things that they can do is to be an engaging and authentic teacher and to build mutually respectful relationships with students. And I hope that that would feel good for teachers to hear that in this moment of we've got to prioritize what we're doing. We have a lot on our plates. We can only do so much. I hope it feels good to know that prioritize these basic elements of good teaching and it will go a long way toward the prevention of school violence, despite in spite of all of these other factors that, you know, Brian took us through a while ago. It's also interesting that you mentioned goodwill hunting, a little bit of the backstory And I think this goes kind of to your point, part of the way that they had the idea for the movie and Matt Damon co-wrote it uh, with Ben Affleck, the movie. And I only know this uh, because Matt Damon's mother is the early childhood expert, Nancy Carlson Page. And I saw her at a conference one time and she mentioned that for a movie, you've got to have that cathartic moment. You know, you got to have the drama. Uh, in reality, it's a much longer process. So many times, teachers tell me that they want to get this situation over and done with. I guess really what I want to get at, how do you embed de-escalation as part of a regular professional practice? I would remind them to fall back on their most basic helping skills. And for me, I I can't remember a lot of things. I can remember these three (laughs) things. I can remember that I need to actively listen. I can remember that I need to build rapport with students and I can remember that I need to show empathy. And those three things will take you a long way in terms of preventing conflict. And I think, and Brian, you may disagree in terms of de-escalating conflict. So those three basic helping skills, and I think provide a foundation um, that you can weave into your daily practice very easily. I mean, I firmly disagree. I mean, I think listening <laughs> to people and caring about them, what a horrible way to approach things. What are you thinking? No, obviously, yes, those are good for sure. I, you know, and I, I try to think about, you know, sometimes it feels a little negative to, especially my last comments about you know, the challenges I think facing teachers from their own, um, if you will, SEL challenges as they, they try to teach. And especially right now, I, I'm reminded of a story. I was training therapists in a college setting and it was near the end of the semester. And, and one of the therapists um, interns, you know, came to me and there was about two weeks left and they said, so we're not taking new clients, right? Um, because there's only two weeks left and I can't really start a therapeutic engagement with someone for two weeks. So I I, I probably should just wait and have them see someone over the summer. And I'm like, no, no, you should see them now. And there's to me a power in the immediacy. If we get stuck thinking the only way we can be effective is long-term engagement. I think there's also that grandmother, grandfather clock swing to the other side that I, I know all of us have personal stories where, 
one small interaction with someone made the difference. And um, I had the privilege of having a number of clients. I don't know how I feel about this, who would tell me the same story that after meeting with me for a year, they had internalized a little Brian on their shoulder that would talk to them. Um, I was very much not sure how I felt about that, but would give them advice and say, is this something that Brian would approve of? And what do we think? And, and so, you know, it was, it was really just, amazing to me, the way that the people that we teach, that we care about, that we provide therapy to, the the kind of unknown aspects of what we share that means something so powerful to them. So while we're talking about the long-term investment, I think it's also important to remember that a simple act of kindness, um, something as small as um, we had a, a teacher who was providing some socks for a student whose parents got divorced and they had uniforms, big proponent of uniforms really deals with a lot of the challenges with, um, you know, social and uh, interactions with students and, you know, but they didn't have clean socks and it was an issue and they're wearing a different color sock, but the teacher had invested in those. And we all have stories of teachers who go above and beyond. And I think when we're training them, it, it really is that parallel process of appreciating their work. People like to be identified and um, acknowledged. Um, sometimes that's all we need to have that energy to go forward and to pass that down to the students that they're working with. So this is super touchy feely and the opposite of what I was just saying, but I think it's an important reminder that when we do train and talk about de-escalation techniques and the way to apply all these things in the same way, when I train therapists, that there's the, the content stuff that's super important, but more importantly, it's the encouragement, the inspiration of hope, uh, the, the caring for them as an educator and kind of reminding them a little bit about why they got into this. And even though the, um, was the slings and arrows that we suffer have worn them down a bit. I have very fond memories of feeling exhausted at times. And then I talk to a friend or someone who inspires me and reminds me, and then I'm suddenly full of energy. So I think that's part of it too, when we're training and talking with teachers about these issues to not neglect that person-centered side of caring for them as people and, and honoring the work that they're doing. Um, now I'm in a Richard Dreyfus place. What's that one where uh, everyone stands up and claps for him? Scott, I feel like you're a movie buff. So you'll get oh, that one. Well, no, I, actually what I think the movie that you're thinking of, and, and I'm not, a, I, I will tell you why I know almost all of these movies. Um, is it uh, Mr. Holland's opus? Yeah, he yeah. writes. Uh, yeah, he writes a piece. When I was working on my master's degree, I, I ended up taking a class topics and philosophy of education. So it could be anything that the professor wanted to teach. And that semester, the topic was the teacher in film. And so I have watched, I won't say I've watched every movie about teachers. We broke down how the teacher was depicted in film. And so I have seen almost every movie about that features a teacher, I think. You have um, a solid, like Edward James almost impression that you could rock out right now. <laughs> I, I'm not that good. I, I, uh, my, my stepdaughter is a professional actress. And so I know to stay in my lane on that. It's, um, hey, sorry, we wandered over here for a little bit. Anything? Are you good? Okay, cool. I was, I was yeah, yeah, I had, uh, I know. Yeah, what, what, what? So, so, Amy, I'm not your, on board with what you're talking about. 
This is not an uncommon. Just being quiet to make editing easier. Yeah. What's your favorite teacher movie? (laughs) No. Oh, not a not an uncommon experience for Amy to be like, what, what the heck is Brian talking about right now? She has it. She has it down cold. <laughs> oh, I'm just trying to think of the name of the movie with the other Robin Williams movie. What is the one where he jumps up on the desk? Why can uh, I not think of the name? <laughs> oh, okay, gosh. good. It's not uh, just the me. Dead, po- Dead, Poet yeah, Dead Poet Society. Dead Thank Poet you. Society. Thank yes. You. You've yeah. created now a podcast of just. I know. So, no, it's beautiful. Everyone's like, what's that movie? And they're shouting it at the radio. (laughs) Why don't they know this? What's wrong with these people? (laughs) I I know. So, my next podcast, and I'm going to have you both back because we're going to, we're going to have an episode on every movie that I've watched about the teacher and film. You know, well, now I feel like it's okay to share that while ago when Brian said, what's the movie with the two apples and Robin Williams? I was like, Patch Adams, (laughs) which I'm so glad I didn't say. Because it did not fit at all. So, see why y'all want me to just be quiet. We did, Scott. I was thinking about this too. You know, in our book, and here's a great plug for this. And by the way, you never get rich writing a book. So, it's not like Amy and I like writing. Yeah, I know. You understand that. (laughs) But the staff guide to um, disruptive and dangerous behavior, which I, I actually like better than the faculty guide, we at every chapter included an 80s movie that was related a quote from it much to the chagrin of the editors they did they not really care for that because there was a lot of permissions that needed to be obtained it was and so then worth it. <laughs> our last chapter which i was the most proud of there's always that summary chapter at the end of the book that are usually boring as heck oh so God. we went back and forth i don't even remember I this we just worked in 80s music quotes into each of our answers, <laughs> like very clearly, like we said we were going to do it. So I, I think it's here. Let me make this educational. So, you know, having some fun, it's Mary Poppins, right? It's like the medicine and the sugar and stuff like we we I think when teaching and people who are enthusiastic about it as well, we talked about genuineness early on, like the other part is actually enjoying what you do. And I think sometimes teachers um, are again, pushed down by the system, they kind of lose their creativity. They, they get into a office space place with pieces of flair, might as well stay in the movie theme um, that they're, they're really losing some of their ability to be creative and they're just feeling pushed down. So that's another thing we try to, I think, reimagine them. I think it's one of my favorite comments that I've heard after trainings where people will say, I knew this, I've never heard it explained that way. And now I see why this would actually work to help solve the problem, which, you know, a lot of the work we do is just, again, distilling concepts they might've learned in, in graduate school. You know, no one, no one jumps out to Chickering's vectors or um, Bloom's taxonomy, you know, in, in everyday speech, but to hear it, how it could be applied in a teaching setting in the here and now, um, or hearing SEL described in a way that isn't just about compliance for district um, standards, but really is the, the heart and soul of why this is important, that when kids are hungry and tired and feeling overwhelmed and struggling with mental health issues, they're not as good in the academic setting. So we have to address those things first. So that's that's been a big strength, I think, in some of the trainings that we've done. Anything else to add on that, Amy? Because I was about to ask, you know, what policy level changes do you recommend? And Brian <laughs> just answered that, <laughs> oh, no. which is good. Anything else that you'd like to add on to that, Amy? 
It was such a good closing. I hate to ruin it. Okay. Well, <laughs> then that's I good. I was just we'll thinking, just... no, Amy answers this question so well. Well, I mean, our K-12 schools are already so embedded with so much policy and regulation from state and federal governments. And so I, I don't know, when when I was thinking about this question, um, there's been a great deal of focus lately from school counselors about the percentage of time school counselors should spend outside of direct counseling services. And this isn't a policy change. It's just an interesting idea. And it, they're pushing back right on using counselors to like load buses or to take lunch duty or to monitor test environments and um, all these other maybe administrative tasks that could shift to non-counselors. And I think it's a tricky balance, right? Because on one hand, we need teachers and counselors out in the halls and out in bus areas seeing what's occurring with students. But on you, you certainly want to have both teachers and counselors focused on that direct service to students. But I saw a friend of mine post on Facebook recently who's a school principal, and I thought it was a really simple idea. And she was posting to families and parents and community members who you know, are concerned about their schools and want to be involved in their schools. And she said, you know, if you want to help your school volunteer to be a crossing guard, volunteer to load buses, volunteer to help in some of these duty areas as appropriate, right? As the school finds appropriate in order to, you know, give a teacher an extra duty hour or or free hour for planning or in order to allow a counselor, you know, an extra opportunity to provide some of that direct service. And it's a simple idea. Maybe it's a little (laughs) Pollyannish, but interesting idea as a way to involve our communities in our schools and to show our, our teachers and our counselors and all of our school staff, right? That's support from us. So yeah, not a policy idea because I think they, they have a lot of policy thrown at them already. Yeah. But at the same time, both of you were talking about um, as far as policy and, and policy change, how to free up teachers, how to make teaching the more creative and really SEL focused profession that we all imagined it to be when we got, when we started to get into it. Thank you both for joining us today. It has uh, been a lot of fun. Thanks, Scott. So, yeah, thanks. It's been a blast. Hopefully we can come back and share some other ideas and yeah. movie references. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. The Thoughtful Teacher Podcast is brought to you as a service of OnCourse Education Solutions. If you would like to learn more about how we help schools and youth organizations embed social-emotional learning within their cultures and implement strength-based restorative interventions, please visit our website, www.oncoursesolutions.net. I would also like to remind listeners that in the summer of 2022, Reclaiming Youth International will be hosting the Reclaiming Youth Seminars at Augustana University in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. You may find out more information at reclaimingyouthatrisk.org. This has been episode number five of the spring 2022 season. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and colleagues about it, either in person or using social media. We also greatly appreciate positive reviews on the podcast app you use. The Thoughtful Teacher Podcast is hosted and produced by R. Scott Lee, who retains copyright. We encourage diverse opinions. 
However, opinions expressed do not necessarily reflect the views of producer, partners, or underwriters. Guests are never compensated for appearance, nor do guests pay to appear. Transcripts are available following podcast publication at our website, thoughtfulteacherpodcast.com. Sponsorship opportunities or other inquiries may be made on the Contact Us page at our website, thoughtfulteacherpodcast.com. Please follow the Thoughtful Teacher Podcast on Twitter at Dr. R. Scott Lee. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.